We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to The Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa DeMattis-Lapore and Ann Baldwin. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the program. Again, I am your host of the show, Ann Baldwin, and the name of the program now is called The Connection, and we're so excited to be able to talk about so many various issues and a variety of things that impact not only recovery from drugs and alcohol, but we talk about, you know, justice programs, criminal justice programs, we talk about behavioral health, and today we're going to be talking about a very important need, and I think um, something worth really exploring expanding the conversation, and that's about foster care. I know back in my channel, 30 Days, I did a lot of stories on amazing foster parents and success stories, and I've always been kind of curious about it, so we thought we'd bring in Dr. Kathleen Savino, and she is the Director of Family Support Services at The Connection, and Kathy, thank you so much for being here. You're Dr. Kathleen, but you told me to call you Kathy, so there you go. That's what I'm calling you. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So first, let's just start by, you know, defining what is a foster parent. Yeah, I think um, first to to define foster care, we have uh, a need for a temporary resource for young people who are taken from their families or displaced from their families. Um, So foster parents or individuals, because it doesn't have to be an intact family, um, really serve as a stopping point for our young people who are removed from their families of origin and need a temporary placement uh, to help support them. Well, you know, you think about it, and and I work a lot with the Connecticut Humane Society, and not to compare, you know, people and animals, but, you know, that's the other side that I've seen firsthand, too, is, you know, you need, if maybe there's a special need or they need to fix something at home, so where do you put, you know, in this case, the, the puppies, the dogs, and the cats temporarily, you put them into foster care. So, you know, I can see where that is a great need, and you think about it, if it were your family, and there was an issue, and your kids had to go somewhere for a short period of time, you know, where would you want them to go? And these aren't just random families or individuals that say, hey, I'll take a kid for a week or two. Talk about what goes into, you know, identifying and qualifying a foster family or individual. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. I think one thing to really point out is that there are different types of foster homes. And what what you just um, addressed is so critical that the first Um, resource that we really want to identify for a young person that the Department of Children and Families looks into is if they're being removed from their family of origin, are there other family members, are there kins who can step in and help that young person? Um, That would be really ideal to keep young people with their families in some kind of fashion. Mm -hmm. And that is really the goal of foster care is to reunify our young people with their families of origin when that's appropriate. Um, But in order to become a foster parent, and to make sure that we have high quality individuals really working with our most vulnerable youth, there's an application process. Um, an initial interview that really we get, sit down and talk with the family and detail exactly sort of what's to come and see if there's an interest. 
Um, once the application is complete, we have to complete things like background checks mm -hmm. and home studies to make sure that the home is a safe environment, that the young person would have the space that they need and that's appropriate. Uh, and then there's a lot of training that goes in. We want to provide our families with you know, optimal training so that we can avoid disruptions, so that when young people are placed with them, we can keep them there for the amount of time that they need to be there. Um, and it's a difficult thing, and, and you know, we want to provide our families with as much support as possible. You know, and you bring up a good point because you know, in, in some cases, you know, you're taking a child out of their regular environment and you're putting them in another one, you know, so that can be, I would imagine a little bit traumatic for that child. So, you know, giving the folks that are fostering, you know, these children and individuals, you know, some of the tools that they need knowing that they just, you know, wouldn't it be nice to go to a place where you could just be kind of carefree, relax. And, you know, while back at the ranch, you know, people are working on the other issues. So hopefully you go back to the ranch. Absolutely. You know, I think what's really important, so first I'll just define at the connection, we have what's called therapeutic foster care, which is a little bit different than traditional foster care. Um, in therapeutic foster care, we are getting kids with the most needs. So these are kids who are highly traumatized that have some pretty significant um, mental health or emotional um, needs that really have to be focused on. So we're really looking for parents that can sort of work with our young people through very difficult times. And, and that's what we want to create, is that this is a place where young people can go, where they can feel safe and supported, and hopefully their families of origin are sort of able to work on the issues that, that brought the young person to, to foster care so that that kid can return. Um, but we also want to make sure that the young person is working on some of the things that they have going on during that time and feeling safe and supported. And it sounds like a lot. It sounds like a big responsibility. It sounds like a lot of work, you know, and I just have to ask the question out loud, why would somebody sign up for that? Um, but you also have people out there that have done it and have made such a difference. You know, let's talk a little bit about Abby, if we can. So tell me about Abby and what her experience and what role she's played in being a foster parent with The Connection. Yeah, so Abby is just one of our um, uh, families that really has provided foster care for us for a long time, um, who's been able to take in really difficult young um, adolescent males and make a different uh, difference in their life. And, and that's one thing I want to point out. You know, when people... Um, sign up for foster care, a lot of times they have this notion that they're going to get babies or small children, and that's really what a lot of people want. But the reality is that there are a lot of adolescents in need of foster care placements, and, and understandably so. I think a lot of families are hesitant to take an adolescent, specifically an adolescent who we know has some significant trauma history um, and maybe pretty difficult. Adolescents can be difficult without a trauma <laughs> that's history. That's right. Trust me, I know that. And then you add trauma uh, on top of that, and it can really complicate things. So um, Abby's been able to take in some really difficult young people and work with them and stick by them. And we certainly appreciate um, all of our families and, and in particular, you know, Abby, just with the work that she's done and sticking with our, our most difficult kids. To and she's them. had some great success stories. She has. She's been able to, as I said, keep some really difficult young men in her home where um, some of these kids have, you know, what we call disrupted or had to be removed from other foster homes because of their behavior, which is often a trauma symptom. You know, I don't, um, we can understand their behavior, but it's often difficult for our, our foster parents to manage some of that. And mm -hmm. Abby's been able to really work with some of these young kids, uh, young men, and, and keep them placed in her home, which is a, a huge success. And you think about the impact 
impact, the long lasting impact that she's not only having on, you know, these individuals, but on society as a whole, because somebody, somebody needs to do it. Somebody needs to work with these kids and these young adults. And if they don't, what happens? I mean, what's the worst case scenario if those people don't get a roof over their head? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we recognize that, um, if kids can return to their family of origin, that's most ideal, if those families are safe. But we also know that that's not the case in some instances. And uh, the worst thing that we can do is have a young person who's t- totally disconnected from caring adults. And what we, you know, another primary goal of foster care is to make sure that whether, you know, let's say this young person can't return to their family of origin, that we have created a permanent connection for them. We've placed them in a home where they um, may be adopted, or um, at minimum, they have a connection with a caring adult that can help bridge them through very difficult times and transition them to adulthood. Absolutely. And if you're just tuning in, um, again, you're listening to The Connection, and we're speaking with Dr. Kathleen Savino, and she's the Director of Family Support Services. And we want to also, you know, give out information. If you're out there. Let me ask you this though, and this might sound like a selfish, but I, I like to ask the questions that our listeners might be thinking, you know, so I want to become a foster parent. What's in it for me? Yeah, well, I think, you know, first we hope that there's an intrinsic motivation that we really want um, families who are interested in helping our young people and making a difference in their lives. And and what foster parents may not necessarily recognize in the moment because they are dealing with uh, kind of uh, acute crises and and young people who come in and they have pretty significant needs is that they do make a lasting impact on these young people. And it may not be until that person's 25 years old until they realize it, but these families make a huge difference. Um, Of course, we have ongoing support and training. Uh, We provide a monthly stipend to our foster parents. We provide uh, weekly meetings with our case managers. We have parent support coordinators. We're introducing peer supports where our foster parents like Abby and people who have been around for a while are really working with our newer foster families. I mean, really, we just want to create um, a, a community around our families. So you don't just take in a child and in many cases, a child that's got some challenges and you're on your own. That's right. We provide. You don't do it alone. We don't. You don't do it alone. We would never want that to happen. I wish I wish I had that kind of support when my kids were young adults. <laughs> I think we could all use that. But, you know, when you see the proven results, and it's interesting that we're talking about this this month, because May just happens to be Foster Care Awareness Month. And, you know, it's, it's probably, let's be honest, it's not for everybody. That's right. You know, we definitely... Um want families who uh, understand, particularly in our program of therapeutic foster care, that these young people will come in with, with trauma. And trauma um, can present itself in mental illness very different in young people. And often what we see is a lot of reactivity. And um, you know, as I said earlier, we have a lot of adolescents. And adolescents who are in sort of typical families who haven't experienced trauma can be difficult. And then you sort of tack on this trauma and, and all the disruptions that this young person had, may have had in their life. And so we do see our, our young young people who struggle maybe in school, they may be resistant to um, be the placement with the family and it may take a while. And so we want people to understand that you know this may be a difficult challenge, but we will work with you, uh, but it's not necessarily gonna be the easiest thing that they choose to do. So while you've got these these young adults in this foster care program what's going on back at the family household are the services being offered family support services to those folks so that like you said your goal is to reunite them with their biological or 
you know, families. Yes. So we work very closely with the Department of Children and Families, who oftentimes has custody of many of our young people. And we have um, young people up to age, you know, 23 in in a lot of our programs. Um, And so the Department of Children and Families works very closely with the family of origin, identifying specific goals that they need to work through in order for a reunification to occur. And as the service provider, uh, we are we make sure that we support those goals, that we provide any treatment that we can to the family, but we're also responsible for ensuring that visits occur when the Department of Children and Families has deemed them appropriate. And those might be visits with the biological parents, but they also may be visits with biological siblings because children mm-hmm. are not always placed with their siblings. Of course, when they can be, we want to do that, but they're not always placed with their siblings. And so we want to make sure while the family is working on what they need to work on that our kids don't feel isolated from those family members who are appropriate for them. So you don't just pluck them from one environment and put them into another one and then you know they don't like you said you know you grow up with your brothers and sisters and maybe a mom or dad or both and then to be taken out of that environment is one thing but not to be able to stay connected is another thing so you've got this coordinated approach with um, Department of um, Children and Families and that's great Um, so I also want to be able to give our listeners if you're interested in becoming a what did you call it a what kind of foster parent is this? Uh, in our program, we have therapeutic foster therapeutic care. Therapeutic foster care. See, I'm going to need to learn all this terminology. So I'll learn it along with all those folks out there listening. So if you'd like more information on that, you actually have a contact person that takes these calls and does the intake. And we'll chat with you about the program, the details that you need to know. And her name is Elise Bathia. And her phone number is 203 745 6939. That's 203-745-6939. And I'll give that number out again um, towards the end of the program if you need to go grab a pen or if you still use a pencil. (laughs) I don't know anybody that still uses a pencil. Or you can also, um, you know, go on to the Connections website at theconnection.org as well for, you know, more information about this program and so many other programs. Um, What does it feel like to go to work every day? And what does it feel like to meet those, those people that have come out of foster care for you personally? Yeah, you know, I think um, from my history, I've always really, since I was younger, wanted to work with the most difficult kids. That's something that uh, my parents didn't understand. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I love the most challenging young people because I think oftentimes they're overlooked, but they have the most to, pro- to offer our society. Um, that a lot of times their skills and their talents are overlooked because they're difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I have the opportunity to come in, and first I have a wonderful staff team uh, that makes my my life very easy and and I love coming into work with them every day but you know when we see the impact that we make on young people or their families um, or we have uh, people who come back and visit us after many years and who um, identify how their life has improved and maybe their children you know they've now had children and they have broken uh, this cycle of abuse or neglect or involvement with the child welfare system that you had talking about those cycles, you know, spoken about those cycles earlier. When we see people who have broken those cycles, it is so rewarding and it just validates what we do every day. You know, and that's one of the issues. Unless there is support, support services, intervention, whatever you want to call it or whatever the term is, um, you can't break the cycle. And, and I really feel that in a lot of places, we're getting better at that. And you look at the people out there that are so successful in life, or you read about people and, you know, they're doing this today. And if you, if you read about their past, you're like, oh my God, how did they ever get to this point? Well, it's because they've accessed the right programs and the right support. So there is hope. 
I think too many people out there say, well, you know what? It's too late. They're in their 20s. They've already gone down the slippery slope. There's no bringing that back. I'm assuming you disagree with that. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. You know, I I teach a class, uh, several classes, and one of the things I put up is um, Oprah Winfrey's history, but I don't tell anybody who that is. And she experienced significant trauma and um, abuse. And so I ask people, coming into this profession, I put up sort of her history without a name. I said, how do you think this person turned out? And 99.9% of the time, people said, this person's life didn't end well. And I said, well, I'm going to suggest otherwise. This is Oprah Winfrey. And people are really shocked. And I think what's really important to recognize is that people are resilient. And people can change. And if we provide the right resources, as you noted, and we can wrap around supports, we can change people, and the trajectory of life, people's lives can be turned around. And it may not be easy, and that's why we need to stick with people, uh, but it's so important for us to do that. And that Oprah Winfrey is such a perfect example of somebody, if you read her history, and there were allegations of sexual abuse and, and all kinds of things, but she took that bad and look what she's built today. I don't think I've ever heard her complain or whine or blame her past for anything. If anything, she's taken that negativity and turned it only into positive power and strength and success. And and if you get the right help and the right person to work with, I mean, I think we could all do that. We've all been through stuff, right? Stuff happens in all of our lives. It's what you do with that that really matters. Absolutely. And we always try to look at uh, resiliency in people. We know the risks, right? We get a file full of risk. Um, and we know what our young people and our families have been through. But then we try to make sure that we focus on strength. And what are the factors of resiliency that can help this person turn things around? And, and like I said, it's not easy. Sometimes um, the behaviors that someone is exhibiting, they are protective. They've actually worked for them and keeping them safe their whole life. And now as an adult, they're not working anymore. But these are things that have been ingrained in them. And it's about being able to uh, work with somebody to, to say, all right, these things have happened to you, but these fact, you know, these things that you're doing, these protective factors, they're, they're becoming problematic for you as an adult. So what do we need to do to replace those? But, but I think the key message is that people can change. Um, it may not be at the time frame that we want, want it to happen, mm-hmm. but people can change if we stick with them and, and wrap services around them. You know, and I've seen this firsthand too. Um, an, a friend of mine who who's, was taken out of uh, his home at a young age because of alcoholism and just a bad situation home and put into another family and then you know in in the adult life you know I mean this person's just had just such a what I would consider just a horrible past and kind of a sad past and then one day you know he's now in his 40s he came over to my house and after being through all this turmoil and just life is just in this uproar you know he sat down at my piano and this this guy's talent he's like a concert he doesn't even look at music I mean it's unbelievable what he's capable of doing and wow what a what a revelation what a discovery and how many people are sitting out there that you think don't have you know any bright spots in their life or their future but you don't know what they're capable beloved because you haven't seen it or tapped into it or it's been because of the circumstances it's been kind of squashed and it hasn't been able to rise to the top 
Absolutely. And I think that's a, really important to recognize that there's been a shift. It's been a shift at the Department of Children and Families and a shift in, in service providers in general that we want to focus on strength-based treatment. So we really want to look at what people are good at and, and not just look at the problematic uh, symptoms that they are exhibiting or the problems that they come to us with, but we want to say what are their talents and how can we build on those strengths to make this person feel good about themselves and to contribute to our society. What does a foster care home look like? Are they homes in just neighborhoods and everyday communities? Are they group homes or, I mean, I just don't know, so I'm asking. Yeah, so foster care uh, placement or home would be, um, as I said earlier, it could be any setup. It could be a, an individual who would like to uh, take in children or it can be an intact family. And these are people who live in our communities. Uh, they live right in homes or apartments um, right next door to to. Uh, to these young people's classmates. Um, and I think, um, you know, what's just important to note is that as long as the environment is safe and the young person can have their own space, their own room, uh, which is, you know, appropriate for them, then we will look at a variety of different living arrangements. To, for these so it doesn't people. have to be a palace. You don't have right. to be a millionaire. I mean, some people with humble means, because it's just, it's got to be the right, it doesn't have to be the right brick and mortar building, right? It's got to be the right environment with nurturing and love and understanding. That's right. And oftentimes, that's what our young people thrive. You know, mm -hmm. they don't really mind the exterior appearance of something. It's really who's inside, uh, who's inside that home and who's working with them and who has the patience to, to weather the storm with them. Now, these foster individuals or parents do, can they still work? Can they still, you know, do what they normally do? Or do you expect them to be there full time and 24 seven with this foster person? Uh, no, absolutely. We want people to work, um, and we certainly do look for families, though, who um, are working maybe for a shift. As I said, a lot of our young people, um, they go to school, but then when they come home, we do want somebody who's there with them, providing them some support. Mm -hmm. With that said, we do have folks that work different shifts, and uh, the Department of Children and Families in our program, we work tirelessly to wrap around services for uh, respite care or weekend care if necessary. A lot of our young people... Um, engage in camp in the summer so we want to provide the right support so that our parents can continue to work but it's a nice balance because we also want that parent to be a present and help raise this young person while they're there I would assume in your in these cases many cases also exposing them to experiences like you just talked about summer camp you know maybe these kids have been in an environment where they haven't been exposed to that or had the opportunity to you know to live what I would call kind of a normal life, you know, to to do the things that other kids get to do for one reason or another. They now have access to those things, which also help build the foundation of, of being successful and being a, you know, a good person in the end. Absolutely. I think one of the things that our young people feel the most is that they feel different from their peers. And, um, what we want to do is be able to provide them with the, the experiences and the things that their peers have so that they feel part of and yeah. that they don't feel different. Right, right. Because especially, you know, you know, teenage years, you know, even coming up in a mostly functional household, there's, there's, there are those factors. There are those environmental and, and, and social factors that, you know, just are what they are. And especially in today's day and age, it's so competitive and I want what you want, or why don't I have what you have? And, you know, it goes on and on. So in some cases, these, these foster um, children come and they go back. Have you seen situations where maybe the foster parent actually adopts the child and 
they yeah. they live on happily ever after we have and and i think that that's really important um what we want to you know as i said earlier the primary goal is reunification with the uh family of origin but we also know that that's not always possible and mm -hmm. when that's not possible we definitely want to um have this young person be placed or be adopted and sometimes that's uh so some of our families are identified as pre-adoptive homes so that they've made a decision that adoption is something that they are very interested in doing and that's wonderful we also have families who are more resource families who say this is a young person who's going to stay with me for a short amount of time and then i'm going to help transition them either back with their family of origin a kinship placement with another family member or to a pre-adoptive home so that they have the opportunity to gain some permanency so that this is a young person who if they go off to college or if they move out at 19 they know that they have somewhere to return to and that's mm -hmm. why adoption is a key component to foster care right so talk about normalcy again so you're in college all your friends go back home you know, for spring break, Christmas break, whatever it might be, you've got a place to go Absolutely. and a place that wants you to be there. That's right. Oh, that's amazing. All right, we want to give out, again, the website for The Connection, and we're talking about um, foster care. And, you know, really there are different types of foster care. You know, and, and in this case, this one is, you know, let's face it, a little bit more challenging. You've got to be, you know, you got to know what you sign up for, but you prepare people for what that is. That's and right. maybe I'm talking about this as a worst-case scenario, but I always look at it, you know, prepare for the worst and, and hope for the best. Right. So if you have those tools, I'm sure it makes everything a little bit easier. So the website again is theconnectioninc.org, theconnectioninc.org. Or you can also call Elise at 203-745-6939. And again, if you're just tuning in, we want to point out there is a process. There's an application process. There are background checks. Uh, there are home visits. And, you know, you need to do that because you don't want to take, you know, these folks from one place and put them in another place where they're just set, setting them up for failure. So, you know, you're doing your due diligence so that there's a peace of mind, too. I'm sure even from the family that knows their child has to go somewhere until they get their stuff fixed that they still want them to be in a good place and a safe place that's right and you know i think it's easy for us to take a look at families of origin and uh, recognize that they are going through some struggles and we don't always see their perspective but in most cases those families do want their children placed in a safe environment and it is important to make sure that our homes are safe places for these young people to go all right with just a few minutes left i'm going to ask you a tough question is it working i mean do you feel good about you know the foster care program do you feel good about the outcomes do you feel good about the resources and are we doing it right or could we do it better well i think you know we can always do things better it's important to note that there's a uh, about 3,700 young kids or kids um, in foster care in Connecticut. Right so, now? Absolutely. Wow. And so this is a huge need in our community. And so what we what we also know is that we've reduced placements in congregate care, care settings. Um, and so that's uh, sort of group home settings or residential programs and placing young people in families we know is a better option for them in, mo in many cases, that they thrive more with the opportunity to engage in typical um, kid behavior and in kid um, activities. And so we know that it's working. Of course, we always look to see what we can do better. We'll look at our outcomes um, and making sure that we're providing the most optimal services to the young people and to our foster families to improve outcomes. So that's something we always look at, but um, we do know that this does work. 
Well, hats off to you and to, like you said, you know, you give kudos to your colleagues and the other staff people because you don't do this alone. It does really take a village and the expertise and, and the knowledge to, to deal with what you deal with. So I really want to thank you again, Dr. Kathleen Savino, who's the Director of Family Support Services at The Connection. And if you want more information on this program or any of the programs that we talk about on this show, you can go to theconnectioninc.org. I want to thank all of you for listening to this edition of The Connection. Again, I'm Ann Baldwin. I look forward to having you all tune in again, same time, same place, next week on WTIC News Talk 1080. really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.